Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It's not working. It's not working. Get rid of them all. Kick them all. Ten men rugby. <laughs> Everyone and welcome to uh, this is episode six. Is it after uh, of the Duncan and Duncan podcast? So we were stood down last week to make room for more important uh, occasions like the Cheltenham Festival. So they were under they were under massive pressure in the studio last week. Um, Rumors were we were fired. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we yeah. seem to be back. We've re- we've revived. We, we've been revived. We've come back to life. So uh, my brother actually texted me saying, "Is there no podcast this week?" I was like, "No, Cheltenham's." Out. He's like, "That's not until next week." Is there? <laughs> Maybe we are fired, actually. Build back up the cynicism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, well, who knows if Cheltenham's going to... Well, it's going to go ahead now, but uh, I suppose who knows what the consequences are going to be after today's news. But anyway, that's an aside. Uh, joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, the delightful Duncan Williams. Duncan, how are you this week? Very good. How are you? Very well, very well. And I'm delighted to welcome into the studio uh, my old, our old colleague and uh, uh, Cork legend, Across multiple sports at this Wouldn't point, Johnny Holland. Yeah, uh, Johnny, welcome. Right. Thank you. How are you? Very well, very well. Uh, so I suppose, yeah, if, if this is as much of a catch up for me as um, as it is for an interview of an interview because I haven't spoken to you in a while now. Yeah. So can you give us uh, an update on what you've been up to? Oh, the last couple of years. Um, yeah. So like, I obviously retired. Was it three and a half years ago now? Yes, um, yeah. Uh, um, time goes on. Other yeah. people retire in the meantime and. All of a sudden, time is moving, but yeah, it's three and a half years. It's Jesus going closer to four years now again. But um, I did post grad in in sports and exercise nutrition. I did get a job for a small while, which was a bit of a, a learning curve out in the real world. Um, it was supposed to be a little project, and it went on for a year, which was it was actually a good learning curve. It was, it was good to go in there, but um, I always wanted to kind of move on, so um, I went out on my own. So I'm self employed, um, nutrition business kind of a bit of training, personal training. Um, you might as well throw in the name now. And, uh, well, I'm self-employed, so it's johnnyallen10.com is the, is, <laughs> is the plug. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so it's nutrition mainly, and I got involved with Cork GA, so that's the big thing at the moment. Like, I'm, I'm kind of, last year I was at the both senior size in terms of hurling and football, and this year it's kind of going a little bit further in, in terms of trying to educate down the ladder a small bit towards 20s, minors and, and Rebel Oak. And that's interesting because you get to speak to a lot of different coaches and S&C coaches, uh, some guys that you might know as well, like Ciarán O'Regan is there. He's involved mm-hmm. in us in Carcon and I suppose that's the other part of this explanation is that I, I, I stayed involved in coaching and it wasn't something I, 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 I thought I would do, but then... You know, and Con, they're very good at keeping you involved, whether it's for your benefit or theirs, probably both. Um, <laughs> and to be fair to Jerry Holland, he, he roped me in formally for one night a week, which became three nights a week. And that was with the under 20s uh, four seasons ago. And then 
I stepped up to the senior side and I've been there. This is my third year at the senior side, so um, myself and Duncan have caught up a lot more than I have with you. Cause, uh, <laughs> Duncan's, Duncan's with us there, but um, that's what I was going to ask you. Actually, the do you think the layoff kind of help you discover that passion for coaching? Because obviously you're just you're not out of the place. You're watching a lot more rugby, yeah. watching training. Yeah, like little things. I think it actually was a fear of not being involved in in rugby. And you know the way rugby moves on fairly quickly. Like it was a fear of not. I I think just once fellas kind of lose touch with it, there's another guy retiring or there's another thing going on, and the the game moves quite quickly and the laws change quite quickly as well. So different things like that. I just didn't want to give it up yet, and I didn't want to detach from the sport, I suppose. So I stayed kind of involved, and then I did quite enjoy the coaching. I I kind of thought you know I wouldn't coach because I'd be 35 and not 25 retiring, but I felt I did have some knowledge in my head for someone to pick up on. Like obviously I, you know playing professionally but not going to international level or, or whatever um, there's always somebody with more experience than you but there was somebody that would have you know, gained value from what I had learned in a professional environment as well so that's what I wanted to try and pass on and obviously enjoy kind of speaking about that and helping people as well like you know Are you going to give your mentor Brian Hickey an old shout out there? <laughs> he gets enough shout outs does he? <laughs> <laughs> I've been working with him three years now <laughs> he, uh, And you still have all the hairs in your head it's yeah. amazing <laughs> But you know the first one of the first pre-season sessions when I stepped up to the senior side um a rude awakening in terms of coaching. You can <laughs> yeah. you can learn all the uh, all the rugby you want. And uh, Vicky actually said to me, "A lovely day, it's sunny in Cargan, different to what it's like at the moment." But uh, we were doing a drill and side by side passing drill, so everybody had a chance to get their hand on the ball as much as possible. Like, and Vicky said, oh, "Damn it, move them cones five yards apart." Like, so I went, "Everybody, pick up your cones and move five yards." Like, kind of trying to trying to get it going. And he just went. Johnny pick up the first cone and put it to the bottom and everything moves out by five yards you know and I was like jeez I have a lot to learn here so uh, I'd say he was very good at easing you into it as well yeah. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. kind holding your head yeah. no, it was straight into the deep end but uh, you do learn kind of practical things as opposed to rugby as well like you know and how to deal with a group and um, it, it's definitely an interesting one it's a good yeah to be fair to you like it's you need a certain type of personality to be able to deal with certain type of personalities <laughs> that are involved in the yeah. playing side of con so I think uh you have a good balance, Vicky does the... probably good cop, the, bad cop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as I said, the, the, club, I, the Yeah, I said a few weeks ago, like, to be fair, the club would be lasted out and like, the amount of work Absolutely. he actually does mm-hmm. behind oh, the yeah. scenes. I, I said, he goes to like, probably four games every weekend. He goes to too many games, but like, yeah. he's that involved in it. Like, you know, how long I, has he been involved in Connor as a coach? I don't know how long in total, but he went He, he, left he went for away a few for a few years to Cashel and he came back. He's, he must be five or six years there now. He was there pretty much... When I started first, it was Terry Kingston, then he came in, or was the other way around, and then he was back again, so I'd say he's gone on nearly 15 years in total, I'd say. Possibly, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the amount of work he does, because I I mean, I speak to him two, three, four times a day on the phone, I'm not the only one, you know, so there's a a lot of conversations going on. he, lo- he loves to chat over an old ice cream, is that? Yeah. <laughs> this I've ice cream place next to his office in, uh, in town. Oh, yeah. So I meet you for ice cream. Casanova. You can try to take that man seriously when he's eating an ice cream. Uh, <laughs> he's a good man for National <laughs> Dean, is that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I met, I've, I've routinely met him in there. To touch on the GA, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously come from a GA background yourself. Uh, you, you like you would have. I played a bit, yeah. Like yeah. I would have played a lot of football, but I didn't play a whole lot of hurling. But like we would have watched it growing up and stuff like that. Like my friends all played hurling. I just didn't take to it. Yeah, uh, I didn't like getting beaten with a stick. Yeah, you know? so I, I didn't uh, I didn't play that one. Well, I wasn't very good at it either. Um, I did. I do. I was chatting to someone recently, um, a podcast, and 
Oh, you're, like, oh, you're on, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the circuit. Yeah, one of the ones on the circuit. Exactly, but a journeyman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they said, uh, "What were you not so good at?" And I was like, "Jesus, hurling probably." Even though that's embarrassing enough. Yeah. But like, it's actually class watching them. Uh, the pace that you know you, you puck around yourself, like, but you wouldn't go near pucking around if you're in that kind of a session because the lads are just so sharp. Like, it's class. And how do you find? Say, obviously, your, your remit is nutrition when it comes yeah. to dealing with um, intercody players. So, mm. how do you find that? Given that they're amateur athletes, and obviously yeah. GAA would have a bit of a bit of a perception of being a bit behind the, yeah. the likes of rugby when it comes to S and C in general and nutrition yeah. in general. So, how have you found that has been challenging? It's challenging, but it's also it's great from my point of view. I mean, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that you can um, you can tidy up straight away. Like you know, and there's there's fellas from all corners of the county, which you know, there's some are more raw than others, and <laughs> it, it's, it's easier to pick up a couple of things. Like you'd be surprised at how basic some of the knowledge is, but then. Mm. Yeah, you'd be surprised at how much other guys have picked up as well. And, you know, things move on as well. Like, it's not that they were wrong at any stage, but things do move on. And you have to try and retrain that thought in a certain sense as well. But, you know, it, it's good from my end that I had a, I had been involved in a professional environment. Like, you know, so the, the lads are always looking to learn and they do trust me in that sense as well. Like, you know, so it, it has been good. But, I mean, it is challenging in terms of they all have full-time jobs and I have to understand that, you know, I think it's actually been good for me that I had to have a full-time job before I went in there because now I understand them a good bit more, you know, but they are nearly professional athletes in terms of time committed to the sport, but they have They're to go to a full-time. Yeah, it's mad, but I said the same with Connie when I went, like when I was coaching. I'd have to go from work to coaching and I'd be like, Jesus, I'm wrecked here. How are the lads actually talking yeah. out? Yeah. And then you go to the GA like that and it's another level up. Like, and what's, you know, the, what's the time commitment in a week? Say, I know it's a league campaign at the moment, but what, like, say what's, for what, them? Is, yeah, what does a regular inter-county week look like at this time of year? Uh, they would generally show up a good four times a week, like, you know... Um, the distance of them are driving, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Like. Some of them, like, you know, they're coming from Bantry and Knocknagree and places I wouldn't have even heard of in Cork before. <laughs> they always strike you as lads, as well. you say, Do this, and they're like, Right, that's it, they're yeah, doing it. Like, like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like nothing's kind of 50 50. Oh, they do, to be fair, like, if you tell them do something, they're all in, like, and um, which is a great way to be, you know, it, it's good to get a buy in from as a like from a coaching point of view. Um, when they're like that they're looking to soak it up like, and they're looking for any way to improve their game as you'd be used to in terms of professional environments but you know if they're getting if they're being given something they they, they do appreciate it like. but at the other side of it I, I hate when things get taken away for any whatever reason because you know they're they're amateurs they're working full time or they're students and, and they're learning and they're young but like you know you want to try and get them as much as they can be given to help out their their, their lifestyle because you know I don't give anyone the, the excuse of time really but then with these guys you have to kind of put that aside because time is an issue you know they go from mm. some guys are travelling like one lad was an apprentice for a while he's getting up at 6 o'clock going to work he wouldn't finish until about you know, four, half four or 5 o'clock get up to training get see the physio do a bit of a warm up into training. You might not finish till nine o'clock. If that's coming into the summer and you really need to nail things down, like nine, half nine, some of the time, you know, the weather, yeah. the, it's bright and they stay on the pitch and then he has to go home. How's he supposed to prepare meals or get lunches ready or get his gear ready or clothes ready, wash things, you know what I mean? It's it's quite difficult. Like So you do have to remember that you're dealing with guys who don't, they're, they are a bit time poor depending on their own situation. Like, Yeah, I have a tremendous amount of admiration for anyone that plays inter-county sport at any level, particularly one of the bigger counties. I mean, it's it's always blown my mind um, the commitment that they have and 
the fact that they can motivate themselves to do that like year after year to like you know 10 15 years certain guys yeah um i i really I, I, i'd struggle to picture a lot of a lot of rugby players kind of <laughs> buying into something like that i know that, well it's different when you've done it when you've done it for a living yeah. like you couldn't pa- well you could but it would be far far more difficult to adjust to that but uh just the hunger that you'd have to have to like that i mean four evenings a week or whatever it is with the game at the weekend and mm. It's literally taking up every second of your free time, and like you were saying, you were you were surprised with the time commitment of the Can guys as well. Yeah, I'll be the exact same. I mean, the club, club rugby nowadays is very much. I, I know, when, like saying Shannon, and I would imagine most AL teams at the moment. Um, like you got your two evenings a week, but I mean, you've got at least kind of one squad weight session a week, maybe two. That's four evenings a week again, even though you're not on the pitch for the four evenings. It is though. A game it at the weekend. Is. Yeah. If you're traveling up the north, like the, the Shannon lads played City of Armagh last weekend, and uh, they left at or two weekends ago rather and uh, they left at half four on a Friday like they didn't get back till I don't know probably midnight on yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. like we went to Sligo and Ban Lynch this yeah. year this side of Christmas like and they're both journeys you know you're leaving at half two on a Friday and you're not getting home till 11 or 12 o'clock on the, on the Saturday that's a long journey after being training for the weekend I suppose it's, it's the same as a coach but it's not it's not exactly the same you're not doing the gym sessions you know you're not doing the Monday and Wednesday even though the lads can do that in their own time if they re- if they have to but if the club wants to buy in and get a culture and some there, there are co- core groups that do it four nights a week like and then they go and play at the weekend it's, it's insane like yeah, yeah. Uh, Aidan obviously Aidan O'Connell obviously yeah. started a new role with Courtier recently have you had much dealings with them? I've had loads of dealings with Aidan because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose I would have worked I wasn't probably the only person who worked across both squads last year because there wasn't too many that did that but um, obviously Aiden's overseeing quite a bit now across all the squads and he would probably pick my brain a bit and how things worked and I definitely feed back information on anything that I would have an issue with or anything that I would see to be an issue for other people I would kind of um, I would try to help Aiden in terms of his role as well as much as I can like but yeah we definitely chat quite a bit especially when he came in first like you know trying to understand the lay of the land of course he knows quite a bit yeah. of it because he was involved with Cork in 2010 when they won a football All-Ireland, so he knows it and he loves Cork. But that, that's it was a great appointment like he, for them and yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great job for him. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Oh, he was waiting for it, he loves yeah, it, like, yeah. he loves Cork GAA. Yeah. So. yeah, no, I think it'd be, just even as a person in general, I think it's a great appointment for them. I think he'll, he'll add loads to that. Yeah. Um, the like so much so experience because like you Absolutely. forget that he was up in Leinster and Ireland and mm. with the RFU and then back to Munster for yeah. a number of years like you'd even forget about the Leinster yeah. scene he was know? always great for uh, judging like the mood of people on the Monday yeah. you know if he came in after a game and it, was, it didn't go well or went well or whatever he always like had a two minute segment before we started training that would either pick people up yeah, or yeah. give him a reality check a bit of a rock song yeah, yeah. you know so he was great dancer also so yeah. I don't know if anyone uh, <laughs> in Cork realises that he doesn't like game day so much though yeah maybe yeah. he's less attached to it at the moment but loves the, the celebration behind the post yeah. as well for <laughs> right. he gets two royal ups yeah. to keep himself away from match days like. remember, he was taking <laughs> us take for the warm ups in the match days but like we go down for like say seven or eight minute warm up whatever we just be chatting for eight minutes then he gets sidetracked alright lads we're back in the high knees he go go on go on and he gets sidetracked again and he was just gassed I remember that was that game against Northampton when when Zeeb scored the hat trick it was the first try he was he was behind the post he was shooting across the screen like every time this is him ran at him and Zeeb's completely ignored him like so we were like oh Jesus God, that's not going to go down well at all another Aiden is a good man as well in the GAA for a celebration Aiden Kelleher the doc oh, was right? Right? caught on camera last year celebrating a goal up in Croke Park in behind the goal like ran onto the oh, pitch geez. gave a pat in the back ran back again another uh, another fellow with quite a bit of emotion towards Cork GAA good guy <laughs> loves it 
Uh, to go back in time a little bit, Johnny. So mm. it was like you're from you're from Tokyo. You went to school in Kolosh Christie. So yeah. neither would be kind of a hot bit of rugby activity, I suppose it's fair no. to say. So where did the love of rugby come from, and um, why was it rugby versus J? Ultimately, uh, it was actually I played a lot of soccer when I grew up as well. You know, so I played it. I, I suppose being a triplet, you were shoved out of the house, play everything there, <laughs> get out of my sight. Um, but no, I was always the one that had like if you went you know, hanging around and then you go to the shop. Johnny hang on to the ball like you know because it's probably my ball in the first place and uh, I'll hold on to the dirty kind of mucky ball while everyone else enjoys themselves but um, yeah we played soccer we played like football in the bars and then uh, we played rugby very young because my dad actually played with Douglas and um, he was playing junior rugby over there and he he had to coach the youngsters then if, as captain or something over there I think that's how it kind of worked out but we played over any of myself my brother shoved over to Douglas at five or six and um it was always kind of like draw the three sports kind of went side by side but like soccer took the was at the forefront for a long time and then I suppose rugby play a rugby match depending on what was going on like and then we took the GA quite seriously football quite seriously as well kind of 14 15 16 minor but I stopped playing after minor like and I think rugby just because the under 18 stuff or the the South Munster the regional stuff started about 16 or 17 and you know I I liked rugby and anyway. I got a bit hot-headed for soccer is starting to lose my skills and get more frustrated um and a small bit of contact suited me because you could get a bit of frustration out in the contact area but too much contact obviously didn't suit me because i'm not a very big guy so um, but that bit of balance kind of did suit my temperament i suppose and uh, i learned a lot of harsh lessons given out to people and referees and different things but it was mm. that bit of discipline maybe and i did enjoy the game like you know my first memory of you would have been i remember well, sorry, not first memory, but hearing about you was Ken O'Connell. <laughs> so Johnny Holland, I'm telling you now, next ten for Munster. <laughs> I was, I said, Ken, who are you talking about? Like, cause yeah. I didn't know. I ne- you had you weren't in the academy at this stage. I didn't play. You're probably rugby. still only seventeen yeah. or eighteen, I'd mm. say, because I must have been only in the. I'd say must have been in my last year academy, just first year out maybe. And uh, he was gonna have months, months, and then I think you were at a session one day, and he was on the sidelines, and he introduced me to. You. Oh yeah, but I thought, I said, "Geez, that's who Johnny Holland is now." Yeah, yeah, great. Because he, like, we went up to under eighteen camps. Um, it turned out that, like myself and Obi, Kevin O'Byrne were in the same under eighteen side, but he didn't go to a lot of camps, and I ended up going to every camp without getting selected in the end. Like, but uh, I was the only monster I'd gone up for a long while, and Tom Nine and himself would drive up because they were both involved, and because it was just the three of us, I didn't get to train anymore. So the three of us would go up, like, and you get stories the whole way up from Ken and Tom, <laughs> which is great crack. Like, but Ken. <laughs> Ken was there for the first, uh, my first under 18 session. Ken took one of the, so they split it up into like four <laughs> drills. So he took one drill, Johnny Lacey took another one, and I don't remember who took the other two, but like that will tell you enough. You remember Johnny Lacey and Ken O'Connell, <laughs> but they were two very different people. So Ken obviously coaches the person quite a bit, which made him an unbelievable coach. Um, and you learn quite a bit that way as well, that like you, you need to coach people as opposed to just the drills. But Johnny Lacey then was very like disciplined and used scare tactics. But then you like get to know Johnny Lacey later on in life. He's not anything like that. <laughs> but Ken continued his way like with the, the academy. There's that, so many good That reminds you of one of the, the first BNI Cup campaigns. Remember Ken was the assistant coach? Or I, was he forwards coach? Axel was head coach and Cozzy was backs coach. I think like. Ken was forwards coach or whatever he was in it. But he, he was running out with the water. So we, we were playing in Clanmill, I think, uh, against Cornish Pirates, or maybe it was Lens- it was Leinster actually. Sorry, it was actually an interpose before the BNI, and uh, we were losing. I think we got a try to go within like five or something, and Ken ran out of the water, and we were like lads were taking the conversion, like so we we're all getting back from that playing ready to kick off. Kids like, had the old earpiece in, like 
He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just fucking win, lads. As if that was a message that came directly down the into the ear. Like we everyone just turned around and rocked and laughing. Like he ran off again. Johnny Lacey, the Irish twenties, trained against us in Carcon recently, and Johnny was telling a story as well about Ken how they were giving the the coaching workshop, like, and they went through tactically how to enter the rock and like the breakdown and what you want to do in the breakdown, a load of different things like real coaching aspects, like and. Ken just pretty much summed it up with just fucking blast the shit out of it like you know just run through <laughs> the middle of it bus fellas like all this kind of stuff this, uh, this, the way he coached like bus fellas running yeah he was, uh, he, he was a good man to simplify things alright <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. he was a great guy to have around oh, like, yeah. Yeah. remember he was in the academy yeah he was coming in, we used to have wait at like 7 in the morning in Cork kept rocking like 5 to 8 Give everyone a high five, shout 100, run and do a load of reps on the bench at 100, then go eat everyone's breakfast outside. And, uh, Take bananas off the thing and eat them. Like, uh, yeah, I brought that in with me for me. Yeah, he's, he's an inst- he's an inst- institution in Once uh, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. a, it's a real pity he's um, not going to knock around the academy anymore because I yeah. think, oh, particularly, particularly at that age, like, he's, he was but he's really good at, at motivating guys yeah, that are getting people at a certain you. point in their career. Loved a good gag in my hairline, actually. probably would have gone on very well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, we did, we did. He was telling me to whip it over for about 10 years. <laughs> Advice you should have followed, yeah, yeah. I suppose, 10 years ago, in fairness. But he actually, like, settles fellas down, you know, straight mm. away. He just breaks the tension and yeah. guys can actually be themselves a small bit more and, and learn after that. Like, you know, instead of you go to all those representative things and you're afraid of your life to put yeah. a toe with a line. Like, and it's not because of the environment. It, it's kind of... It, it drives itself in terms of young fellas coming in and being afraid of the, the consequences. But Ken just makes it funny all of a sudden and, you know, breaks the ice and everyone's laughing and gets to know each other very quickly you know so it, he's uh, he's unbelievable that way uh, your experience of being a club player so yeah. obviously like Munster is quite different to Leinster and I would assume Ulster as well in the sense that they're actually in recent years quite a lot of guys coming through the club system but yeah. it was only kind of ahead of you coming in today that I started thinking about it and very few of them are backs actually it tends to be forwards that do come through the club yeah. system agricultural so, yeah, agricultural <laughs> hair bastards yeah <laughs> but what was your experience of being a 10 and I, I, I suppose like say, I suppose we're going back to like 2009, 2010 when you kind of would have been coming out of the age grade stuff into exactly, the monster yeah. system. So yeah. there were definitely fewer club players making the making a successful transition at that point. So what was your experience of being an out half? Yeah, I suppose I was like I had a bit of football in me, but I wasn't. I was a bit raw in terms of how structured the game was when you go to a different level. Like you know, and it's only in hindsight that I would really um, appreciate that as much. You know, like you go over to UCC and Kevin Kidney is there. Obviously, his dad is Decky and. And like he's played with praise for six years and all that kind of stuff, like you know, a much more structured game than what we had. And we we had a couple of backs moves, and then you play like you know. So, um, you all dummy, the dummy switch pop <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> scissors. Like, um, but if you don't have that, then like you know, it, I suppose we just went out and played. Like, and you weren't coached um, as much, but it was still enjoyable. Still very good players and uh, and quite good teams. Like I know Highfield had the kind of Paddy Ryan, Ob, James Cronin, that kind of crew. And they had a really strong high field team the year above me, but you know the way it goes every two years. So like oh, we yeah. couldn't go near them in one year, and then we'd have a good crack off in the second year. But like, um, it did probably like you know people say, oh you should have gone to a school and this and that. And I just think I might have gotten lost in a school. You know, it being that kind of, um, I wasn't loose at all. But like I mean, you know, it's more just kind of get the ball and see what you can do kind of thing as opposed to running the game. And I was definitely a quieter player. Uh, at that age and like I say I was a bit raw so like running the game and trying to stamp your authority on it I did it within my own uh, group I suppose but then you step up another level and that's the part that I really had to improve upon I suppose so then if I went into a school you don't know where you'd have gotten lost or what position fellas would put you in and 
you know, stick you on the wing or put you into nine. And I know a lot of schools players had played different positions and, you mm. know, it might have worked out. I don't know, but, like, I don't regret not going to a school and having things maybe have worked out a little bit easier, you know, because I got to the same place eventually and it was probably a little bit more satisfying in the end because you do have a little bit of a chip in your shoulder and defying, not defying odds, but, like, it's not the most straightforward route, you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, did you f- ever feel that there was a bit of stigma against you for the fact that you would come through a club as opposed to a school? No, I don't think there was stigma at all because, I mean, I still trained with the same kind of age group and I remember, like, I remember getting to 19s and 20s and the Prez lads were much better at Olympic lifting and the Scannels were like, Niall was a joke at his his Olympic lifting. He was very technical and we hadn't, I hadn't done it, like, he you know. He was his nose effort. Yeah. <laughs> so those kind of guys had done more weights than what we had done. Like, I remember my, uh, my weights were in, done in the bars when I was about 16. I remember just doing lunges and you still get that smell from an old gym. Like, the lads would all <laughs> yeah. talk about it, you know, an old school or club gym, like, you know. And I remember just trying to do anything at all down there and, uh, the lads have probably had a bit more structure in terms of S and C and different things like that, like. But um, yeah, you catch up, all right? Like, but you know, it could have. And that less structured approach probably stood you in the long run. The like less structured easy, approach, yeah. Like, yeah, you have to do things yourself as well. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think it's easier to go from being a bit unstructured to structured as opposed to yeah. open structure. Like, to learn that way, I think it's yeah. a bit harder. So. I'd, I'd prefer younger players coming up now to have played in an unstructured mm. kind of game plan or system. That's why I would say Connor's like say for Jack Crowley, it's quite a good system for yeah. him because he's a good experience like outside him, the wingers in the back three, Niall Keneally, and you know the way they try the can try and play. I think mm. it's, it'll benefit him in the long run, big time because you're learning to make decisions. Like and you, I, I just think the game is based on I always say this in the dressing room, and it's just the more decisions you can make, the more positive decisions you'll make, the the better outcome you have for your team. Like so, if the lads can run around in a an unstructured situation and make more decisions themselves then you're going to learn as a rugby player now I, I, I don't like when people say oh we're unstructured and we play off the cuff like you don't there's a, there's a structure <laughs> yeah, there like no absolutely thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah but you there's you, a philosophy but it's yeah. not a structure there's a philosophy yeah. um, but like like you said now you know I I think I kind of um, I take care of a lot of my own stuff in terms of like my S&C and stuff when I was younger if we were given a programme I would have gone and done it like you know so I had to learn that way that if I didn't do it like I wasn't getting any more help you know so being outside of those really structured systems might have helped that way or else just suited me as well to get the job done like it would have suited Robbie my, the two of us would have come through a lot of the same teams like and I know he'd be very uh, focused on what he did on his own as well like you know so um, it stands to you that way as well the fact that you played football to quite a high level obviously for <coughs> I didn't realise you played as far as minor uh, with yeah. the Bears that's like that's a pretty high standard yeah um, it was decent because we like I played minor and then we won an under 21 I was young enough, like, and then my last year minor, I actually skipped a rugby match for it, uh, went into UCC, and you know the way they had a lot of bursaries, and I didn't get a scholarship now or anything, but, like, you had a bit of a, um, you were supposed to play there, you weren't supposed to skip games, like, you know, and I had a bit of a run-in with Gary Byrne, who has actually been very good to me, but he, uh, he gave out <laughs> to me for, everyone? Has yeah, but everyone? He, he gave out to me for skipping the match, which he was dead right, I, I kind of said to him, it's my last year minor, these are all the friends I grew up with. Like I wasn't gonna miss it, and uh, it was kind of October. I just had run run on too late, shock. Um, and we, I think it was actually may, might have been November in the end. But um, the rugby match ended up being a friendly, and then ended up being called off. So I was quite happy with my decision, and we won the the minor uh, county. So like it kind of went out in the high, and we we still remember that with all my own friends and club uh, teammates there. Like you know, you still have that mm-hmm. kind of memory. It, it's great. So if people ask me like you know what's the stuff you remember with sport, but like that would be definitely up there winning a minor with my own age group and then you know, under, under twenty under 21 rugby I think with, with UCC we won in All-Ireland and 
you know, a lot of those guys are coming back to Carcon at the moment. Uh, J2 you know, guys, like, yeah. He lost the semi final to you that year. He beat Lanzon in the final. Yeah, Luke yeah. O'Dee was playing, wasn't he? Uh, Luke and Paddy would have been yeah. playing as well, yeah. So it's all these guys coming back, like, to play under 20 rugby. And, you know, Cags now and Johnny McCarthy. Yeah. And uh, those guys are all out in uh, Carcon now again, starting to just play social rugby. Which oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're is Johnny playing it. again? Uh, yeah. Con. Johnny yeah. was a guy. I remember we, were, we had an under 16s camp and. I didn't really know anyone there, but I remember there was like about 40 of us at it. I remember uh, it was Regan, it was down in Cork, and uh, Regan was like, the odds are probably one of you is going to make it. Straight away, <laughs> I was like, that's Johnny McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> this is not me anyway. <laughs> but I like, if he was right, like I was, I was the only one that actually went on and got a contract. I remember looking around going like, oh, I don't fancy my chances here now, to be honest. But Johnny was an incredible he talent. Was incredible. I don't Great, people, yeah. would, people wouldn't know him for the most part, but... Uh, Thought he could, he could could do anything like really. Could Did play he play any twelve position. then as well? Because he's gone back to playing twelve sometimes now, and I just have that in my head that he did go from seven to twelve and maybe back to seven a couple of times. You know, he so went. I know he he started playing on the wing for Prez kinda around that time. But yeah. in our age, he was always a back row. Yeah, uh, but yeah, really, really terrific footballer. But but anyway, to come back to GAA, um, mm. how, like how important do you think it is that? guys play as many sports as they can for as long as they can because I think you probably see it less now in rugby particularly forwards but I like particularly GA and rugby I mean guys might have played other sports as well but it's kind of rare that people would play like football and hurling and rugby until like beyond the age of maybe 12 or 13 nowadays but I'd find like a lot of the guys I would have played with who started playing rugby at say 5 or 6 and didn't play another sport that actually their skill level would be a lot worse than guys who would have played other sports so I think it's something that's maybe overlooked a bit what are your thoughts on that yeah like uh, I'd be a big fan of playing a lot of sport like and whatever about like you know becoming good at one but enjoy whatever you can and then like you know parents shouldn't be deciding that you're playing rugby and that's it you should just play everything and see what you actually naturally go towards but like I think obviously the skills are transferable as well you know you look at a lot of people that I grew up playing with and like and were pretty decent at things they weren't only good at one thing you know, a yeah. lot of them weren't only good at one thing. You look at sweets, and I always laugh about sweets because, I mean, he picks up a cricket ball, and I remember the lad saying he threw it out the back of his hand with a spin that he shouldn't be able to do because he never even played cricket. <laughs> but, like, then he was playing badminton with Ireland, hockey with Ireland, soccer with West Cork, like, and uh, obviously played hurling at under 18 in an All Ireland semi final or quarter final. He scored three points from, from midfield. You know, this kind of crazy stuff. And then he's pretty decent at rugby as well when you get down to it, <laughs> yeah, uh, bad, whether he knows yeah. it or not. But, like, there's a lot of those guys. I know the scandals played f- football and hurling, and those are thinks he played soccer but <laughs> but I think Peter Manny is probably one of the only ones that played one thing like you hear Paulie was a very good swimmer Paddy Butler played golf you know everyone played mm. something like and uh, Peter's probably the only one stubborn enough to pick one sport okay. and go with it yeah. Yeah. Gardening, yeah. Gardening, yeah. Gardening. <laughs> gardening and folding is yeah. <laughs> yeah so I think he's uh, he's one of the only ones but if you think around the squad like I think most people played something so I'd be a big fan of it but like obviously you know you can't do it forever and going to your last year or minor probably toes the line a small bit but um, did you play football? Yeah, I played, I played, Brutally, I played football and hurling <laughs> and soccer. Actually, I, pl- I played soccer. Soccer was my first sport. I said when I was about six. <laughs> I, you you played soccer. <laughs> I was actually, I was actually quite a decent. Are you like Kieran Parker, like? who claims he was this holding midfielder? No, that I trials for Bolton was spraying balls all around. No, no, I, I, I'd admit I was limited. Limited yet molded. I think that's probably the best way, probably the best way to describe me in, in every sport that I played. Limited but effective. But uh, you, you were the young fellow with it, like a, a big boot. You could just boot it further. No, than not at else all. See, I, I was tiny until I was sixteen, really. Uh, like my, I, I have habit genetics. Like my, my mother's five foot one and my dad's five foot seven, so I did very well to get five foot ten. <laughs> <and> <laughs> you did plus get plus out of <laughs> plus five plus foot five. ten. 
But uh, no, I played soccer and I played GA. Uh, I started GA when I was seven, I'd say, and I didn't start rugby until I went to Glenstone when I was almost thirteen. So and I hated it until I was sixteen because. Rugby, as I, as I think I might have mentioned before, rugby's no fun when you're just the little fella getting run over by the big fellas. Like it's it's the worst sport, in no fact, good. when you're small and you're playing against. That's why I'd be a big fan of kind of weight classifications up till yeah. at least like an under 14 or 15. Because I think a lot of guys get, like, I, I maintain that if I was in a bigger school that had maybe three or four teams in each year, I would have stopped playing rugby because I, I got such little enjoyment out of it. But mm. the fact we had, <laughs> the fact we had so few <laughs> players that like people couldn't, people who were some way capable of of surviving you were tripping over your own feet like yeah exactly yeah, that that was good enough to kind of more or less have a starting yeah. position in the first team in glenstow <laughs> like so but you no, know like, way classification like it's very interesting i don't know how it fully works in new zealand and you hear rumors of these things but like we all know players who were unbelievable at under 14 level and they just didn't improve their skills like you know and, yeah. um and vice versa like fellas who just couldn't run with the ball had to do different things like you know had to become uh, more clever at using their feet and transferring the ball and passing the ball and kicking the ball like and you know it, it actually is a very interesting yeah. thing yeah um, those get cut up by the age of 16 that's 17 it, like, they? yeah, yeah. yeah like, they have an under 85s now at senior <laughs> level so yeah. they have under and over 85s which i didn't know actually until i was there just before christmas and uh Diva? so they have like a like a senior under 85 kilo weight division like they've like they actually yeah yeah, yeah they're, they're in school <laughs> yeah. is it no, no, in oh, like in, in just general, like senior rugby, say would have un, an under eighty five league. Yeah, I didn't know either until I was down there. So I think it's we weighted up until yeah, yeah, more of an incentive to stay under. Uh, not a medal, <laughs> but uh, the I think the weight classes go up until maybe under fifteens, and then yeah. it kind of becomes open ladder part of school. Uh, but yeah, there's an under eighty five. So I was there. Dave Toomey, who who tells me he listens to this, I don't know if he actually does or not. But uh, he lives he lives on Mohiki Island off the coast of Auckland. So he was hooker for Munster Twenties the year the year before me, year after Mike Sherry. So uh, he he came down to New Zealand. He was about like ninety. He was about ninety four kilos. But he said he was going to train with guys and. He was pretty much the only white person there because he was. He joined the club that was full of Pacific Islanders, yeah. guys that are kind of in his position, 120, 130 kilo on average. So <laughs> he just it was kind of like me playing under 14s. He was just like uh, he was just getting run over all the time. So he heard about under 85. So he said he dropped about 10 kilos in the space of a week. So he was he was it was like cutting for a fight. So uh, you have to weigh in two hours before the game, but he lost all the weight too quickly. So he said he'd be he'd be kind of playing with borderline concussion almost with dehydration. <laughs> so he said. <laughs> the reason he knew he had to stop and kind of actually take a few weeks out and do it properly was he tackled a guy in his own team who uh, who had tackled someone and was coming back into the defensive line. <laughs> and he was obviously pillar at a rock and tackled the guy in his own team. And he's like, oh God, no, this this isn't healthy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, I was on to him a couple of weeks ago because uh, they just announced the national under-85s competition. So it's great that like there's an avenue for people to play that uh, continuing because I know it's a big problem in Ireland. The yeah. drop off in playing sport. Yeah. Um. So what was what was your experience, Tom? Did you play? Did you play other sports other than rugby when you were young? Uh, I played soccer for a year or two. I would have played a lot of tennis when I was younger. Um. Yeah, I would have played anything that was going really. And yeah. uh, like when we were down in West Cork in the summer and stuff, really, yeah, any bit of anything that was going on, I was I was involved in. So I suppose if you're if you're in a position like nine, you were probably always a nine, were you? Um. Yeah. They tried to move me to ten at under thirteens. I'd say lasted probably half a game <laughs> um, so yeah uh, no I, like, I enjoyed a lot of sports but I didn't play like officially with teams I played soccer for as I said for about a year and a half with a team right or a half a year up in Douglas Hall when I was very young but I would have played a lot of sports but not with actual teams if you know what I mean yeah um, I, I suppose if, if you were playing at never nine played hurling. I would love to have played hurling yeah I was kind of I was a much more effective hurler 
but yeah, much more effective hurler, but a much better footballer, if that makes sense. So like my hurling skills were very limited, but I was I was excellent at getting scores. Uh, did you ever see the hurling when the, the subs come on? And they make a beeline straight to the guy there, oh, yeah. and they just start nudging each other on the shoulder. I'd say that you were good at that, though. Nice low Give to the ground, centre of gravity, barreling into lads. Well, no, that was kind of... Well, no, I was too small to, for that to be a remit, but I, I used to come off the bench. We won an under-16 B county with Carrie Navarre in 2000, and I'm going to say six, maybe five, and uh, I was a year young, but... Like that whole campaign, basically, I'd come on with twenty minutes ago, and without fail, I'd score a goal, like at least one goal. So, and that was kind of like it was, invariably it was a breaking ball on the ground that I'd pull on it, <laughs> and end up in the back of the net. That's that was kind of limited my hurling ability, but uh, I always enjoyed football far more. But I wouldn't mind playing Gaelic football again, to be honest. I, I do miss it. I don't think I'd be any good at it. I tired of it going back when I retired. I just thought, like, you know, fellas would go, "Oh, you play rugby again with Connell?" I was like, you know, even if I could. Why would you go and put yourself through that? You know, contact on a Tuesday. Don't get on what you're doing. Uh, but no, like when you're... I do the contact. You know, <laughs> I see that. Um, but no, like, you know, going back and having people question, like, oh, why aren't you playing a Munster? Would you play McConnell and all that kind of stuff? So if I was able to do anything, I actually wanted to play with the Bears against my brother was playing there and I thought it'd be great crack. Now it turns out it actually is a lot of commitment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't, I, I ended up organising a game of AstroTurf with the lads for a good few weeks on the trot, like, and I don't know, about six or eight weeks into it, I was nearly dragging my, my right leg around the place. I was like, ah, oh, that confirms it. I'm not able. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have been able for it at all. Like, but in my head, I was kind of thinking, will I go back and do this? Like, it would have been great crack. I used to love playing football. It's kind of less structured as well. I know it's getting, there's a lot of systems and a load of that kind of stuff, but like, it's not as structured as a linear game like, like rugby. Like, uh, you, you just mentioned the hamstring there. Like we won't, we won't labour on it, obviously. Mm. Um, but like, it does. It, are you able to kind of keep yourself fit now? Does it cause you much trouble day uh, to day? I think it's it's been causing me trouble with my knee since I nearly retired. Like, and about a year of that, I ignored it. And uh, the last two years, I've, I actually have been trying to rehab my knee, which isn't isn't getting any better. So I've been sick of it. And I probably don't do the right thing all the time with it either. Your head gets carried away. But like, my actual hamstring isn't that bad. I did play a tag tournament with my sister's uh, work crowd during the summer. Again, my brother was playing and I, I thought the two triplets couldn't get away with playing without me. Like So I said, I'd go over for the crack and uh, I destroyed myself. It was like five 15-minute games. Or it was three group games of 15 minutes and uh, if you won that, you go through to a kind of a quarterfinal, semifinal thing. And at the quarterfinal, I was like, oh, please don't win because I was uh, starting to get fairly sore. Like, and it actually put me out. Like, I do my gym work and I do my RDLs and stuff, obviously stretching your hamstring and... Um, for about six weeks after, I couldn't do an RDL properly because the stop-start kind of five, 15 minutes killed me, you know. Uh, so okay. it's good that it gives me a, a kind of a, a reminder that I can't do those things because otherwise I kind of get carried away with myself and want to play again. When you watch a match or you watch your own age group getting through and getting Irish caps and stuff like that, it, it does make you get carried away. Somewhat, but so I, I like the reminder at times, but then too many reminders, it makes me frustrated on the other side. So a nice happy medium. <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult balance to strike, I suppose, for anyone coming, yeah. off, with the, coming off the back of a bad injury. Um, the f- I want to kind of capitalise on the fact that I have a 9 and 10 in the room and talk uh, a little bit more technically about the game of rugby so one thing I, th- I suppose in the last three years particularly since you finished up that has broken into test rugby it's actually one of the last kind of 18 months really is this reintroduction of an offensive tactical kicking game which wasn't yeah. really there for quite a while uh, obviously dominate, Ireland dominated for the bulk of the last mm. number of years because <coughs> box kicking was the fundamental part of the game and 
that was almost seen as something that couldn't be dealt with really for the most part whereas I know England have really blazed the trail with it having essentially like a 10 a 10 and 12 that can play make and a 13 and a 15 that can kick in a really uh, dangerous manner as well and even now I suppose we see Ben Young's doing a bit more um, where does that come out of are you, are you surprised that that's that's kind of been the key that's unlocked what Ireland was so good at for so long. So I, I think teams were just so focused on frontline defense yeah. or frontline defense that it was literally hard to attack. So obviously, if the space in the backfield, you have to try and figure out how to get it there. So one tactic, obviously, is putting up the box kick that Ireland were doing. But the evolution of that is that obviously once they start, if you're kicking on the side and kicking a box kick, they might have two lads over there, which means the space on the other side. So you still need to set up to if it is covered shift it out a couple of channels maybe kick on the run then or take the space with the passing and as they close kick it through to the space or even you see a lot now I think England were doing it kicking it down the middle of the pitch just finding grass and getting a, a hard chase on it and just making the other team kick back and then when they kick back maybe they don't make make touch or they don't get the proper connection it's kind of a chaos on then and that's when the counter-attack is, can be deadly I think it came up fears ago that most tries were coming from counter-attacks as opposed to set-piece like first phase attacks mm. um, so that just showed that why people may think that one or two kicks it's kind of boring and negative that there is positives coming out of it that people are getting more counter-attack ball especially if teams are kicking badly or putting enough pressure on the other team after they do kick so I know people think oh Ireland box kick monster box kick a lot yeah they do but I think what they probably let themselves down is, is not having that outlet of once the box kick has been overplayed that they shift it out mm maybe kick off 10 to the opposite winger or as they kick it down the middle or use hands get it to the far touchline and then kick it along the ground like Andrew Conway is very good at um, he obviously worked hard at it Ronald Man used to be very good at it mm. uh, the Lens lads started doing it originally under Joe Schmidt so I was kind of surprised that they hadn't implemented it more with Ireland obviously maybe the defences are again that bit better again at international level I don't know but um yeah, I'd be interested to hear what Johnny is. So. This is defence though, like isn't it? Like you'd see even the England Wales game at the weekend, a lot of crossfield kicking, like kick passing, like you know, and mm. um, it's just because that that winger is playing so narrow now that you know the the fifteen still has to have an eye on the backfield and the winger is going to come up quite hard. So there is a bit of space on the edge, but like you have to execute that quite well, or you're just giving away possession, you know. So like Dan Bigger is quite a good kicker, but then you got George Ford, Owen Farrell, who are both well able to kick and put the ball where they wanted. And but Daly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he, Henry Slade, like, when he plays, yeah, yeah. Henry Slade. <laughs> like the last day, he was such a stylish player, you know. And then he can actually put the ball in his foot as well and and get quite a good outcome, you know. But like they've just kicking options everywhere, and they did it to Ireland last year in the Six Nations, which was this big shock. That you remember Tyler when he came over was talking about Coffin Corner, wasn't he? Yeah, the Canterbury would always was it. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We were never we were never set up the kick aimlessly like so yeah. if we're going to scrum we tailor our setup to a 4-2 or a 3-3 or a 5-1 whatever and see what their backfield did and then whatever way they set up we'd manipulate it so that if we can kick and find the space there but it's an attacking kick it's a kick to either get the ball back so it's not a long kick it could be a chip it could be a grubber or to make it a contest so if you do put the long grubber in that their players come into but we're also coming in it's not just a clean take for them so it's it's not seen as a defensive kick it's actually an attacking kick and as I said it wasn't set up that we were just going to kick for the sake of kicking we were manipulating our own set up to manipulate their backfield so we could choose uh, the right attacking kick to play so you saw sometimes we'd go to Rory off a right hand scrum at the 12 and he'd do a crossfield kick or he'd if their winger did uh, cl- close up the shot he'd actually change it to a long driver into the far corner because obviously we'd have two on the other side of the scrum, so they're 15 and winger couldn't leave there. So it was just, as I said, we were trying to manipulate that and 
Am, am I right in saying we see we're seeing less of that this season? Yeah, I think we kind of kind of we did it very well like Razzy and Jack's first season. Then kind of the next we, we kind of lost because we was, so we used call it a poker setup as well. We was going mm. to scrum t- scrum is just an example I'm using now, but um, we kind of concentrated more on open play because obviously we were box kicking a lot. So then we tried to bring in the next step of which was you could set off at a box kick, but if the call came, you could just rather than the nine kick it, you could shift it out to the ten. Who can then either kick it or shift it on another few channels and then put it through whatever way it worked. But um, yeah, I thought we used to be very good at it. And I, again, obviously, maybe things change in the, or in the global game. You know, the people see those trends and they decide to change little bits and pieces. So um, I, I actually can't remember what, what the why we stopped doing it. Or but like when obviously retired that first year, but the the difference was that you were kicking out to get the ball back as opposed mm-hmm. to kicking to relieve pressure. You were kicking to transfer pressure. And I think that was the biggest thing that Razzy brought in. Uh, and then obviously Jack had that as well as the and they took the pressure off the kickers as well. So like for a box yeah. kick, they was always saying needs to go twenty five meters and hang for five meter or f- six seconds. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't have the biggest kick in the world. I don't have a long lever. Like if I kick it twenty five meters, there's no way I'm going to get it to hang in there for six seconds. Like yeah, um, right. Whereas Murray could kick it thirty meters and let it hang in there for eight, eight seconds. Like, yeah. So he just he just has a bigger kick. Or so he like Jack and Razzy came in. They were like. As long as it goes ten meters, because then everyone's on side. He says, "I'm happy." Yeah. Just as long as it doesn't go less than ten, we might don't have, we'll, we'll have worried, like. But if, yeah. kick, if it goes more than ten, he says, "Don't worry about it. You've done your job." As long That's as where Duncan and, Duncan and Sweets became best friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good in the air. Yeah, exactly. So, it was, uh, but no, it look as I said, for me, it took massive, massive pressure off the kicker, which, like, I won't, I won't lie. I used to go into kick uh, into games dreading that I'm going to have to kick the ball, especially first kick off. We received it. I'll kick it long turn eight, get tackled and tell you to go and I'd have to kick it. Like, <laughs> here we go now. Have to kick it 25 metres and hang for right, six seconds yeah. or whatever. Like, it was just straight away or putting yourself under pressure. Like, yeah, there is a balance, isn't there? Like, the, you see some wasteful wingers where they just don't know what else to do. They don't want to take the contact. They just kind of throw it on their toe and it's it's not a great kick. Like, whereas yeah. if you look at Daly, like you said, with England, um, it's a decision that he makes, finds a bit of space and it's not just kick it away for no reason. Like they're, it's a decision that he makes at the line, you know, and looks up into the backfield. But they they know from their analysis as well that Ireland and teams are playing. You know, you talk with these thirteen two defenses where there's only two men in the backfield, and if you can manipulate that, they might end up with one in the backfield. But teams are even going with one in the backfield these days. I know Wales do yeah. quite a bit, don't they? With Lee yeah. Halfpenny covering everything, like, and yeah. that's fine when you feel like Jones who's the fittest man under the sun. Yeah. But, but that's what you're saying. That wingers nowadays are told to read body language. So obviously, as soon as someone shifts yeah. to kick, they should be. They're off flat, but they're dropping to catch that on the foot and not letting it hit the grass. But is it going to change the type of centre that we see at test level and, and the level below that now? Do you think? Because I know, say, from about probably early to mid 2000s, that a kind of stereotypical block yeah. like Rob yeah. Henderson, Kevin Maggs, I suppose Manu Tuilagi nowadays, that was expected to, to run hard at people, run over people, and hit people, but not really expected to pass the ball, yeah. certainly not expected to kick. Whereas now, as I said, essentially got two very two world class 10s playing 10 and 12 for England and then uh, as I said if you've got if you've got people outside who are capable of um, putting people turning people very well and putting teams on the back foot like potentially in a back line you have like five or six out of the seven people who'd be really comfortable taking a kicking option rather than running back the Australians always be like that and and the New Zealanders as well like they always had say Larkham and Gitto 10 and 12 or Gitto and Elton Flatley or Larkham and Elton Flatley whatever way it worked out Uh, New Zealand were the same Carter played 12 first when he came on the scene so they always have those two 
but they put Nano under oh, pressure to actually kick the ball as well, and they yeah, he, he became an unbelievable kicker. Yeah, like, yeah. Became very good at it, but like I think, like you said, if you've got four players in the back line that can kick, you can use the other lads up the middle. But like it's very as a coach, then you're looking at it going, mm, do I give up my go forward up the middle? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do give up your go forward, then your thirteen just becomes a two laggy, like you yeah. know, and you do have to have that balance in the center. I would say you can't have uh, a Farrell with you know Henry Slade in there. Then you don't have much of a balance there either, you know, because you no, know, they're they're well capable, but you don't get the same destructive carry up the middle. Whereas you can just throw two laggy on the on the hard line or Billy Vunapola as a shortened line out up the middle, and then you can use your two lads to play either side of the rock, like you know. But there's definitely a balance thing. How many kickers you have what's the balance of right leg and left leg and see what you can do from there. But obviously, when you go down to different levels, you don't have as many options of kicking and balance and whatever whatever you're saying there. But, like, you know, if you have a, a star-studded international team, it's definitely something that you've got more options to do. I was that. actually only thinking that about Scotland. Uh, obviously, Hastings is going quite well and they're talking mm. about Finn Russell coming back in the summer. Play one of them at 12. Uh, oh, yeah, are they, they, yeah? Yeah, could they play? What, what, was, what was the latest Apparently on himself and Townsend have had... A uh, drink together. Yeah, they're on the piss together. <laughs> he went to, Tones went to bed after two, and uh, thing didn't. But uh, yeah, so I was just wondering, would they maybe look at that? But obviously. even with Hog, with them as well at fifteen, yeah. he takes the restarts and you know, he kicks the touch sometimes, and he's got a weapon of a. a but I just even think the fact that not just kicking aside, the yeah, being yeah, two ball players. The way they so. play as well, you could definitely yeah. benefit from. Um, from getting the two lads on the ball and they play I think having the best players on the pitch yeah. they're both talented guys so. I think having the two playmakers is almost is becoming a, yeah, a minimum mm. expectation really of teams I think it really stands out when a team doesn't have a second playmaker yeah. either at 12 yeah, or at 15 um, <laughs> yeah like it, it's, breaks my heart uh, it's such um, it's such an obvious not, I wouldn't say a solution to a problem but it's such an obvious strength that you can equip yourself with as a coach I mean surely you'd want you'd want people want, having to watch defences having to watch two playmakers instead yeah. of one yeah like, definitely because I mean if you can shift the ball it, you see it with some very one dimensional teams where like you know the ball's not going outside then those those um, those defences can shoot up hard and they don't have any other decision to make like you know mm. so um, again like are you going to get that down the levels like you know AIL even going into professional rugby it's rough squads you lose a, g- a guy all of a sudden your game plan has to change because you don't have that mm. kicker or ball player at 12 you know, so you can't have that either. You have to set up your your whole game for a squad, I suppose. Uh, it's easier when you've got everyone available, but it's not as easy if you're going to miss one or two key guys to that. Like so, um, as you go up the levels, it might become easier. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do Ireland have the personnel to kind of introduce that r- real attacking threat of a kicking game? Uh, it's not. What, yeah, it's not like the kicking game. I think, as we said, like having two playmakers at ten and twelve is a, is a massive thing. Like we're not saying that they need to kick the ball more or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like. As I said, Leinster were first ones in Ireland really that started doing those like, attacking kicks on the end or on the edge of the line. If you know, it was like I remember Dave Kearney and they used to be putting them through and getting getting like they wouldn't score every time, but they were getting a few scores off it. So or a line out in yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, out, you know? even a win there is you kick it land short line, they pick it up and they get bundled into touch. So that's that's a win there. But um, yeah, look, I think Ireland have they definitely have the players to be able to do it. It's just I don't know what the philosophy is in terms of that. And you would think they have to develop the skill a small bit more, though. Mm-hmm. You know, they definitely have the players and the personnel to do that, but it's not in their mind, and it's not. You don't see them doing it. It doesn't look like it's a philosophy. No, and it's not like you know they they see a certain defense. They don't revert to that either. Like it's not in their minds to do it. It's not a natural thing for them to look for at the moment. I think it's a lot about possession and retaining the possession for as long as you can un- until you get a score or, or a penalty. Like you know, so yeah, the, the hangover from the the Schmidt style of coaching is still, I think, quite evident. Particularly yeah. when the heat comes on, um, mm. 
like yeah they, they revert to type uh, low percentage or sorry high percentage games um, yeah. low risk games and like uh, or low risk tactics rather so it's going to take a while for them I, I, I would imagine an appetite is there to do something differently but it's obviously like lo- with any team you're going to revert to type dummy pass yeah. Yeah. Shape, shape the pass <laughs> yeah, well that's yeah. not being funny yeah. like, as in, <coughs> you could tell like uh, Joe Schmidt was saying hit the guy in the chest so he doesn't that's have it, to like, think, he just catches it and yeah. carries it like, but so he's not about just getting fellas into the contact yeah. carry them through get more people back on your feet and play with more numbers and stuff but like you're, you're right the defence think like, but even like, throw holding the ball in two hands and shaping yeah. the pass it just sits people down for throw a pass because I mean like the ring rose or someone at 13 mm. like get the ball to him early and allow him to do something you know mm. and, and the likes of Conway might get a bit more ball in the wing and Stockdale might come yeah. back to his form that people are giving out about yeah. because I mean like give him a bit of space and his chip over the top has become his kind of specialty as well like yeah, give him a bit true. of space with a scrambling we're defense not saying you're going to make massive line breaks off, but no. you'll, you'll get easier carries softer um, tackles I just think it's well, it's easy in uh, interior yeah, exactly. we'd be yeah. international coaches if, uh, if we had all the <laughs> answers but, like, ditch. Yeah, but, you, but you would love to see them kind of throw, the, throw a small bit more while being effective not just throwing like Scotland control the ball and lose games there's no <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ireland like, did throw it a bit know. the last day but I think they went out the back against uh, England probably went out the back too much yeah, 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 that's right. But winning yeah, goes so kamikaze off the line, like Mara told you, he just didn't care who the ball was going to, like yeah. he was yeah. going to get him, you know, those kind of things. So it can be quite difficult, like it, it becomes a time when you do have to go back through it again. And if you're going to lose that contact going through it, you're going to lose most games you're anyway, you know. Pressure then anyway, yeah, yeah. So that's where you go back to do you have your, your biggest ball carriers at 12 and 13 and can they get you on the front foot? And guys mightn't be the best ball players in the world, but with a bit more time, they might become that, you mm-hmm. know. So there's definitely a, a balance which is difficult yeah. to, to get. Obviously, no Six Nations again, no, this weekend. Uh, so he, he knows it's more important. He knows the priorities are. Uh, yeah, so no game this weekend, no game last weekend for Ireland either. It's kind of it's a bit of an unprecedented period, really, for Irish rugby in the sense that, obviously, we, the two test games have been cancelled, but Munster coming off the back of a two-week break, and realistically, I think the Pro 14 are still pretending that the games against Treviso are going to go ahead, but yeah. Munster no, and Treviso... Are they officially cancelled now? Because were, yeah. I was talking to the lads last weekend and okay, Pro 14 were apparently yeah. assured, <laughs> assured everyone that the games <laughs> were definitely going to go ahead. But they're, I would assume they're not going to now. So Munster are looking at not playing a game until into April now at this point, which is kind of, which I think maybe five weeks ago. That, that was confirmed today, with like yeah, the 30th, 30th of May, though, wasn't it? Oh, it was in May or March? I r- maybe oh, I read it wrong, but I like. I thought I it said 30th of March. Yeah, I could yeah. be wrong, yeah. But uh, what, what do you think the vibe is going to be like inside now when people know that there's no game in the horizon for potentially a month like uh, I, I unbelievable crack yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep you up he's all day it is difficult though isn't it kind of even yeah. if you're I was thinking about this recently and even if you're in a hotel and it's bucketing down outside the doubt kind of does start to creep in and you're trying to keep it away from yourself just so you don't buy into that doubt and uh, it's hard to keep your kind of eyes on the prize like isn't yeah. it but even if you look at the international scene at the moment like guys like John Cooney and I know there's a whole lot of talk about it but guys like that who are looking for their chance, and, chance yeah and it is like I would reckon that they if if I was in, in there as a coach you would think that you'd look at the Six Nations as kind of spreading the game time you know not exactly picking your first choices but definitely spreading game time with three and two games for for some mm. guys who are neck and neck and I think the two games have now been lost for some guys like him you know and it it does become difficult because by the time October comes around you don't know who's in form or who's after ga- regaining form or different things like that it's just a different the uh, the of land is different like you know so it's probably very disappointing for guys like him especially the Italy game has always been a chance for guys to mm. stake a claim in, in some sense so yeah, yeah not even if he doesn't start but to get more maybe 30 minutes or 30 exactly yeah, minutes yeah, right. yeah. but so even even down even at provincial level I mean guys now say Irish guys won't have played these last two games so they're yeah. 
yeah. probably hungry for games they're whenever there is a match. So, yeah. guys who are looking forward to, again, games against Italian teams are traditionally ones where... And you do that, don't you, as a player? Like, when you're kind of a development player or looking on the edge of the squad, you, you kind of try to earmark... You, you know your weeks where yeah. the Jets <laughs> are probably <laughs> going to come in. No matter yeah. how good or bad you go, these yeah. are the weeks that are coming. <laughs> yeah, but they won't be coming anymore. So, like, it, it is difficult for them. But it's yeah. also, like, I mean, it, it is shit crack without having games for four or five weeks at, at a time like you know it, it's difficult to stay motivated yeah. what's going on like are they supposed to do more gym sessions or I'd, f- more I'd, I'd imagine they'd have a few lads there now that all like say Billy Holland and Archer and them they'll, they won't be <laughs> I'm sure they'll try and curtail the doing mindless drills to yeah. For, yeah. For, for, for the foreseeable future you know, they'll try and integrate a bit of crack into it whether it's just even a game of tip rugby is unbelievable crack or a game of football yeah, or something yeah, like that like, or, you, and a few points as well yeah yeah, yeah but that's like, it like, I'd imagine it, like one day they should just turn off the train and go right lads we're all going to the the pub or something like but <laughs> whether that happened I don't know I was waiting pretty much my entire time in Munster for that I don't think it ever happened where we got a surprise <laughs> and then in Grenoble basically like the, the season like the writing was on the wall more or less <laughs> with regard to the season and they were like God, we need to. We kind of need to get the lads together. So I think we kind of we were looking good for a while just after Christmas, and then we'd lost a few games in a row, and it was kind of crisis time again. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they they brought us kind of uh, down to what was the name of the lake? Anyway, the, this lovely lake about forty minutes away from Grenoble, and it was obviously sunny. It was like April time or whatever. I got the piss for the day, played like volleyball and football on on the beach all day. And then that night, uh, <laughs> there was an incident in town involving a flare. In a pub, and the lad responsible got fired anyway. Oh, so literally couldn't have gone, it couldn't have gone worse. <laughs> never, never happened again. <laughs> like, the yeah, only no, time it can happen to us is when we were, do you remember, was it two or three years ago? The weather was so bad. Um, so we had to go to Limerick to, we were flying out from Limerick. So the weather was going to be so bad. They were like, oh, we come up the night before because you might make it up in the morning. No, the weather was shot. We shouldn't have driven up in the first place. <laughs> the Like the snow was so bad and everything. Like, So we were staying in the Castle Troy and it was about, Seven o'clock, right? This no chance of this game going ahead. Like that, Edinburgh was on lockdown and everything. You could think it was away in Edinburgh, and like a load of games have been called off. So we just we were kind of sitting there, like there's no chance of this going ahead. Like, so the car continued to <laughs> lash of points, and uh, we were kind of waiting like for the call. Like, the, and we knew it wasn't going ahead, but we had to wait for it to be confirmed. Like, so then we were finally like, we sent a text. We we're like, we're not staying in Limerick if we stay here. No, it's like we're not we're not going to get back to Cork. Cause we're going to be stuck here indefinitely, like because the weather. It was a Craig Island. The roads have been taken in. The roads have been taken in. So we were like, no, we're not staying here. So Kevin O'Byrne was there. He had, he obviously doesn't drink, so he, he drove us back with myself and a few of the other lads. Had like five or six points. You're happy as Larry coming back in. Anyway. <laughs> the game was called off. So we, we had a grand time for ourselves. So good decision making there. Again. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the veterans of the the group made a good decision. Uh, kind of bit, just before we finish up we might touch on probably the most notice, no, notable incident from the weekend uh, involving Joe Marler grabbing either Alwyn Jones's either either penis or testicles I'm not sure <laughs> which it was exactly I think it was a, his, a bit of everything it was the dick uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah it's kind of it's one of those ones where I suppose it's different it's different for us having been on the inside of that circle um, what you as in like you think it's messy we don't appreciate like well you could look at something like they're, they're Lions teammates and they obviously know each other well and I think look like we've we've seen stuff like that Alan and Joe's and help him after he really could well, no, well, well this is it this is what I was going to say right, like yeah. I think most people assume that it would kind of it would, would most people who are involved in professional rugby or have been at one point or another would have assumed it would have been kind of played down or whatever and I think I think the litmus test was his reaction to it after 
afterwards because his tweet like, it, it, Joe Verler's tweet yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. he just but, doesn't uh, care though he's yeah. the right man for this, to yeah. do it like but but it's, I, yeah, it's very, it's very difficult no go on, go on no just I, I was thinking about this because one of the lads sent it into like the WhatsApp group and I had seen it but you know like you said being involved in a group like that before you kind of turn a blind eye to that like it's it's obviously meant as a bit of messing or a wind up one or the other but whatever way there's like there's no real malice in it but I was just thinking like you can't do that now you know it, nah. there's there's definitely going to be something come of it but then you get the other side of it like where people are going you can't do that in the workplace and it's like it's not really a workplace yeah. like, no you, you know <laughs> but, like, yeah. but like you know it's not like a workplace you can't you can't say it's like going into the office and doing it to a fella uh, yeah. in the same in the same context so like People have gone yeah, too I far. I'm going to the office now tomorrow and do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so you get on. But like, <laughs> 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 well, <I'd> say. <laughs> but you, you do pleasure. see like w- the messing that he he kind of did, but you know, with all the goings on now and equality and different things, like you, you just can't really take the piss out of it like that now anymore. Like no. especially, I think he just got caught that the camera was right in front yeah. of him when he did it. Like, he obviously didn't know where and the camera was. Staring were. at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, uh, like you don't, you wouldn't like to see him get a massive ban for it or anything but he definitely needs to get a slap on the wrist yeah I and mean, there'd be a sanction alright like people were posting screenshots of the actual law regarding it I think it's low, yeah. low end yeah, of the scale yeah. 12 weeks you know, yeah, for he's six got months a, or something like that he's got a few incidents they're saying he's going to get 12 weeks he's a couple of red cards anyway at yeah. least um, I'm not sure what they were for exactly but I, I, I do know he's had suspensions in the past yeah. so that probably won't work in his favour uh, potentially his reaction online afterwards yeah. <laughs> won't work but that was he doesn't really care yeah, like, yeah, he, he has no big talent is, like, it just doesn't bother him yeah but I think it is like it, it'd be very interesting to see what happens with it I don't know is, like the siding commissioner should have thrown that in by now I, I don't know has he I didn't hear anything about it in the news today what uh, like if the siding commissioner is, is taking a case oh he is he is he's 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 to Alangi and all right okay yeah um, but like it is disappointing enough from Alan Jones like you know he that's not disappointing but I, no, he was doing, to be fair he could not say anything and yeah. like he yeah but I think he could have just downplayed yeah. it let the siding commissioner deal with it he would have gotten I'd imagine if well, no, you have to write a report don't you I'd imagine yeah. he'd I wouldn't him, like uh, to see him kind of asking reference. for it in a sense or saying yeah. it's not good enough but like I think Another bad time he was in foul form he was yeah of course like another fellow would say look I know Joe a long time he he obviously took the piss at the time when I didn't want to and whatever happens yeah. happens like you know I, I think he could have gone that way about it as well but like you know you can't blame the guy either like you know yeah um, it'll be interesting to see what happens alright well, yeah. I'm more interested in Tulangi with the power that comes from him flying through the air like that like I was only saying to somebody today that like I don't know the amount of tackles that you've seen from him like that but just because he brings so much power that he can't get away with it. Like other guys get away with one or two of those because you don't have the effect afterwards in the contact area. Like, mm. but I saw him live actually nearly murder Dennis Fogarty in in Musgrave <laughs> no Park. Better, man. You know, oh, yeah. the shoulders. Leicester. Oh my God! I think Fogs took a like a, a good hard line off me, so I hit him. But like, two lines was only eighteen, I think. And yeah. He, he had this thing where he's just hovering in the back, like in behind the front line, and oh, if you saw okay. a guy, he'd pick him out. Like, so he obviously saw Fogs coming. Knew he was getting it. <laughs> And he absolutely he killed it. him. Like <laughs> it was like a wrestling move, like you know, where they slapped their back and they thump off the tennis. Like, but like, he, he oh is God. too powerful, though. Like think of another. Like I was saying, Matthew Bastro, big guy, doesn't move like that, you no. know. And there's no one, I think, his size that actually packs the punch that he packs. Like it's no. so he's he's lethal. Like you yeah. know, so you do have to like it. It, it's his natural power and strength, like. But you mean you have to learn how to manage it or fellow? Yeah, what I mean, like he's 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 tackling illegally there. Like, yeah, he is. Like his yeah. arm, he's tackling with the wrong shoulder. Like if he's if he's going to tackle legally there, he'd be tackling with the old other shoulder yeah. in general. Anyway, the rest supposed to get hurt his arm is straight. And like I was like I was having I was having a back and forth with the guy online who was saying, but I he, thought you might have misjudged it because he thought your man kind of got 
uh, lassoed around the ankle, so he kind of dropped all of a sudden. Yeah, but no, but I, I still mean, didn't look right. Yeah. No, I'll say that. But he came I, in from that, a distance. I think, I think he misjudged him. Like, yeah, yeah he, he, he didn't mean to get him in the head, but yeah. he he's still meaning to body check yeah. him essentially. But you'd be surprised the amount of people that put the head on the wrong side there. I know, like you're the danger is he steps back inside you. That's your head was on the shoulder. He was hitting yeah. more. I think he actually just thought he was going to be further down the line. But if he wasn't, I caught him by the ankles. Actually, literally stopped him dead. But if he's not so destructive there, like you do. And it's it's George North. George and, running, and then he he's going to. He he I know. Yeah. He got clung there. And yeah, but he's, like if he catches people most of the time with the head wrong side of the tackle, they're going to be in trouble as well. Like you know. Yeah, so. that's right. But yeah, he's having. Did you see him last or two Italy, weeks ago? Every man creamed him uh, off France. the kick. Was it yeah, France? Yeah, yeah. And he, but he he's going he's going flat out at the moment. Like I mean, mm. it doesn't look great for him, does it? No. Jeez, no. Like he's had a lot of very bad yeah. ones. And bigger's the same. Bigger's had like six or seven, hasn't he? I think they said there's high profile ones as well. Like North has been rolled back on after clearly being knocked out. I think nearly everyone he gets, yeah. he's, he's kind of losing consciousness. Like, and yeah. they said that to six. So, can you imagine how many there actually are? You yeah. know, if they're claiming six, and that, that sorry, that could have been seven if they're claiming it to be anyway. He was stood down for a while, wasn't he? As well, I think so. That yeah. One yeah, yeah. That yeah. I remember I, I was having the, having a similar conversation with someone a couple of days ago, and uh, I was telling them about the time when Sweets got knocked out after <laughs> kickoff. There, I was, trying to find, I was trying to find the clip on YouTube. <laughs> like, it is. I, I don't care. It's hilarious. I don't like, remember. Well, it. It's obviously. Like it's it's a serious incident, say, yeah. but it is so funny. So basically, because it's not on YouTube, so people can't go on and look at it. But Sweets chases hard off a kickoff. I don't know who he was tackling. Was it? Uh, I'm not sure who caught the ball anyway. But he, he was knocked out first play of the game, or not knocked out, but he was he he was dazed um, quite badly. But anyway, the ball carrier brings it in to the rock Ulster recycling the ball, and Paddy Jackson's kind of waiting for the ball. Sweets anyway eventually gets to his feet goes back to the Ulster side <laughs> and stands at first receiver with his hands up in the air <laughs> looking for the ball off who was it Paul Marshall or someone yeah. and uh, to be fair Paddy Jackson comes in and kind of like takes him by the hips and just like escorts him out of the way he's like yeah, just just step over there man. <laughs> really, yeah. so that was the end of his game but uh, yeah like <laughs> that could have just been sweets on a bad day wouldn't it just yeah. end up on the other side of the road he, uh, he had two raw Vulavans again that day as he tells himself <laughs> Uh, yeah, he just says Vulavans at me just to get, <laughs> I say Vulavans <laughs> just like have you ever seen his one of the older brothers Henry I mean, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Alessandra is obviously the kind of probably the best known guy uh, but Henry is Henry's I would say at least twice the size of, of man who kind of like the guy who decapitated Danny Barnes that time over in the preseason friendly as well oh, that, w- that might have been Manu it? actually it was one of them Alessandra probably because uh, oh apparently he nearly murdered him I wasn't there but we saw the video of it like oh Jesus, yeah, so Henry, Henry, I, I, I didn't meet him, but I bought, uh, I bought pork off him. Um, in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> More on that. <laughs> we played uh, the Pro D two final against Perpignan, so he lives in Perpignan, yeah. but his, he, he li- um, his business is like pig on a spit. So like Pacific Islanders, they're like kind of pigs on spits is a big thing of theirs. They, they do it very well too, but he kind of does uh, mobile like pig on a spit fan or whatever. And uh, he was there, and a few of the lads that are known him, so we were buying pork off him afterwards, but. The lads were telling me I I never I hadn't seen him play a whole pile. But the lads were telling me he he was an eight, so he'd stand on the the end of the dead ball line, and uh, he'd start running when the ball was kicked, basically. And like, like the rugby league one, yeah, 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 yeah. And like whoever caught it, he'd just be on their shoulder to take it, and he'd have like a 25, 30 meter run up. Uh, like borderline, do do borderline dangerous stuff. Yeah, like what are you supposed to do? Because there's clips of him. There's clips of him on YouTube, like he running played against Munster a few times at Leicester. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he with the Dragons for a while as well? Or was that the other? I don't know. Yeah. But uh They all did they all played with Leicester, Henry Alessano and Yeah, yeah. Oh, the guys now? But, but he, he's a monster, like yeah. it was quite funny, but yeah, it's just that raw uh, raw kind of uh 
Pacific Island power. So there's very little you can do. I mean, very I know I, I wouldn't have, I would have liked to have been the guy trying to in the front line. Definitely not. <laughs> running out of the tackle him. Uh, uh, all right, lads. It's probably all we have time for. I know Johnny has uh, other engagements that are far more pressing. So Werner's had anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, William, for coming in. It was great to catch up with you, and no it was an interesting chat. Dunk, as always, thank you. And uh, yeah, if we're not stood down again, we never, next we never week. got to your, your your big news over the weekend. Oh yeah, I, I got engaged at the weekend. By oh, the fair way, play. So, the dodgy knee guards. Yes. So to my. Beautiful fiance, Sarka. So, uh, yeah, a good old weekend uh, no. down in Ballyville. Well, Casanova here, tell us the. Yeah. <laughs> well, fine Go story. On, tell us more. <laughs> Great story. So, yeah, a string quartet was arranged <laughs> to be there upon arrival. Actually, yeah. don't tell us, you're showing everyone up there. Edit out, edit out. It's done, we're done, we're done. So, yeah, so thanks, Johnny, and uh, thanks, Dunk. Talk to you next week. Yep, thank See you. Next week. Privilege. Lovely. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.